With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the Two-Footed Podcast. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Uh, two games to review and some transfer news and gossip and stuff to get through not a whole lot on the on the agenda today recording late monday night so if anything crops up tuesday morning and you're wondering why it's not in the show we are recording because of scheduling conflicts um we are recording on monday night so uh tonight we've just seen uh fulham win away to leicester city one of the biggest shocks of the season so far in a season that has been full of shocks uh third from bottom fulham beating fourth from top Leicester City. And in truth, they deserved the victory. Uh, Leicester had their chances, but really did struggle to create a whole lot of much. Fulham took their opportunities. Uh, they took the lead through Adamola Luckman. Very, very good goal. Zambo Nguisa with a, a key role in this goal, as he has in much of what Fulham did well on the night. Carries the ball, slips it through to Luckman. Luckman runs on. Gets the one-on-one with Michael and slips it past him. And then just eight minutes later, Ivan Cavaliero finally ends Fulham's penalty jinx. Having missed their first three penalties of the season, including Cavaliero, who missed the last one when he slipped, he steps up tonight and he pings it into the top corner. It's one of the best penalties you'll see. Leicester huffed and puffed and they had most of the ball and... They had some shots from range, but they really struggled to create anything clear-cut. Harvey Barnes gets them a late consolation goal, but it's not enough to see them come from behind. Fulham get the deserved three points, and it is a big three points for them. It pulls them to seven points on the season, two wins and a draw from their ten games. If it hadn't been for those penalties, they'd have three wins and two draws and they'd sit comfortably on 11 points, which would have them above Brighton and give them a bit of breathing room. It's not a good result for Sheffield United, who remain nailed to the bottom, one point from 10. Now four points from Burnley, who have that game in hand, five from West Brom, six from Fulham. Things are not looking good for Sheffield United, and they have nobody to blame other than themselves. That game was followed up then with West Ham, at home to Aston Villa. Villa, of course, have had a little bit of a rough patch of late. Um, obviously, the defeat to to Brighton. They lost to Leeds. They lost to Southampton. They did beat Arsenal in the middle there, but four defeats from five 
after what was a very promising start to the season. Not ideal for Villa, but quite a bit of controversy in this game. Uh, Gab- um, Angelo Agbona puts West Ham up early. Two minutes in, Jared Bowen corner, Agbona puts it away. It's just the perfect start for them. It's exactly what they need, what they want at home against a good team. They get off to the flyer. Villa worked their way back into the game. Jack Grealish dictating the play, pulling the strings. 25 minutes in, Grealish picks the ball up. But midway through, midway into the West Ham half, he's under a little bit of pressure. He turns and he starts to drive at goal. And as he starts to drive at goal, the West Ham defenders just seem to run away. He carried the ball for somewhere between 15 and 20 yards. And nobody made an attempt to tackle him. Nobody made an attempt to close him down. He drives to the edge of the area and he smashes a shot uh, into the West Ham net. Fabianski has absolutely no chance. As the game wore on, I, I have to say I thought Villa were the better team. But it's West Ham who go back in front. Jared Bone in the 46th minute. With a really nice-headed goal. Uh, Saeed Benrama off the bench. Really nice cross. And Bowen with a great flicked header. Beats uh, beats Martinez. He doesn't really get anywhere close. But it's a really good goal. Bowen was really good tonight. Goal and an assist. Lots of hard work. But like I say, there was some controversy in this game. So first things first. There's, there's a penalty. There's an offside, and then there's the worst dive I've seen in about three years. We'll start with the penalty. It's Villa get the penalty. Ollie Watkins steps up. And Watkins is normally very composed from the spot, but he tries to blast the ball. It hits the crossbar. It goes about 30 feet up in the air, comes back into play, and West Ham managed to get it clear. A little bit more composure from Watkins. And he puts his team level. But unfortunately for him, it's not to be. Now, I don't know how many times since starting this podcast I've spoken about VAR. I think I've been quite clear. I think VAR could be a great addition to the game. I'm in favor of VAR in theory. I have spoken about how I think VAR needs to be operated with the referees, the PGMOL, not involved in VAR. And tonight is another example of why these people are just incompetent. So there's a cross from the left. Watkins gets in front of Ogbonna and scores. It's the 91st minute of the game. It's, you know, coming up on the last kick of the ball. It goes to VAR. There's loads of messing about with the lines and what part of the body are the lines coming off of and this, that, and the other thing. And eventually it gets ruled out. It's questionable. As with the James Rodriguez one, as with the Mo Salah one, it's very, very questionable as to whether he's actually offside. But what the VAR doesn't seem to check is that the reason... Ollie Watkins is offside. And he's ruled offside by the placement of his arm. And the reason his arm is where it is is because Ogbonna appears to be trying to mount him as if he was a horse. 
He has his arms around him. He's got his leg around him. He's leaning all his body weight into him. And Watkins is trying to get free. He fell, He's fouling him before the ball is played. He's fouling him as the ball is played. It is a very blatant foul. And if it's not a goal, if you're not allowing the goal, then let's roll it back and let's have a look at that foul. Because that, to me, should have been a penalty. Villa should have had a penalty in the 92nd or 3rd minute, whatever that was, which would have given them the opportunity to tie the game again. It doesn't seem to have been reviewed. They seem to have just checked the offside. They seem to take an extraordinary amount of time to check the offside. But whether they got the offside right or wrong, there was a blatant foul there that should have resulted in a second penalty for Villa and given them the opportunity to get a draw here. Now, before this, there's a little tussle for the ball between Jack Grealish and Pablo Fornals, where the ball bounces in front of Grealish. Grealish attempts to use his body to screen the ball from Fornals, throws his hip into Fornals, waits about, about a second and a half, and then flings himself to the ground, holding his knee. The knee that was on the opposite side to Fornals. It is the single most blatant and disgusting dive I've seen in a couple of years. It's the type of dive that if it had been committed by a foreign player, or indeed if Jack Grealish still considered himself to be Irish, there'd be articles... The entirety of Monday Night Football's post-match will be dedicated to talking about the horrendous act of diving. You know, players who had passed away wouldn't have passed away for this type of thing. But nothing will get said. Fornals got booked. (laughs) He got booked. He didn't do anything wrong. Grealish threw himself into Fornals and then flung himself on the floor. And nothing gets said. In the same way that Danny Welbeck threw himself on the ground and rolled around after the Andy Robertson collision, uh, about four steps after it happened, hopped up and ran away, and nothing was said about it. If, heaven forbid, Mo Salah did it, it would be back page news. You'd have heard interviews from the manager, the opposing manager. His manager would have been asked about it. It would be all they could talk about in the post-match. There'd be, like I say, there'd be articles in the the paper tomorrow, you know, harking to the ghost of George Best or Bobby Moore or whoever. And Grealish will just get away with it because for whatever reason, he just does. I'm not sitting here suggesting that Mo Salah has not put himself to the ground easily at times that Sadio Mane hasn't done it, that Gerard didn't do it, that Suarez didn't do it. Of course they did. But never to the frequency that Jack Grealish does it, never to the frequency that Harry Kane does it, never to the frequency that Deli Ali does it. The biggest divers in the English game are English players, and yet nobody talks about that because we're meant to believe that they wouldn't do that type of thing, that they're all hardworking, honest individuals 
who don't dabble in the dark arts. Of course they dabble in the dark arts. It's how they become very good players. They manipulate the rules. It helps them get that little bit of an advantage. It's what you need. No matter how good you are, naturally, you always need that little bit of an advantage. But Jack really should be ashamed of himself. He really should. And I, I don't think you can appeal yellow cards, but West Ham should certainly appeal that one because it was a disgraceful decision. Uh, as for the table, West Ham are now up to fifth. Uh, who'd have thought West Ham would be in fifth after 10 games? 17 points. Credit to David Moyes. He is doing a very, very good job this season. Uh, Villa dropped to 10th. They do have the game in hand. Of course, it is against City. City currently sit 11th. Uh, level on points. So that, that becomes a big game. It's, you know, Villa went four games unbeaten, four from four. They were looking really good. They were top two in the league. Now, all of a sudden, they're 10th. They've lost four of their last five. They're conceding goals. Um, they're not scoring as many. Ross Barkley has been a, a big loss to them. He's rumored to be out for the two or three weeks. They need to replace that drive in midfield. But Dean Smith will start to feel the pressure unless they turn this around quickly. Dean Smith is under pressure this year because Villa have invested massively. They have owners that want to win. They have owners that want this club to progress. They won't accept anything similar to last season. So with the league so so tightly bunched, you know, if Villa were to, to lose another one and a couple of teams below them were to win their next game, they could find themselves... 12th, 13th, maybe even 14th really quickly. And that would not be a good look for Dean Smith. Not with the with the start that they had, not with the fact that they were able to keep Grealish, give him that big new contract, bring in the players he asked for. He asked for Watkins. They paid more than they wanted to, but they got him. He asked for Martinez. They paid more than they wanted to, but they got him. They paid a loan fee for, Gre- for um, Barkley. They're paying his wages. It's the players he wanted. He got them. Matty Cash as well, of course. So if they start to drop down the table a little bit more, just keep your ear to the ground. His name will start to come up as, as one who might be on the hot seat. Uh, David Moyes may get a new contract real soon if West Ham continue to win. They're the surprise package of the season so far. They have to be. I know Southampton are doing very well. Um, but for, for West Ham to be fifth after the horrible schedule they had for their first seven, eight games... It's really, really impressive what David Moyes has done. And I have to hold my hands up and say I was completely wrong about West Ham this year. Uh, They have a belief. They have a system. They're very, very rigid to how they play, but it's working for them. That double pivot in midfield, Rice and Suchek, has worked an absolute treat. The one thing I will say I was right about, I said last season, they need to get Mark Noble out of that team if they want to turn things around. He's out of the team. They've turned things around. They're a much better team without him. He still has a role to play. But it's not as a starting player for West Ham. It just is not as a starting player for, in that team. Uh, it's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks to see how they start to progress Ben Rama into the team a bit more. I think that's something that will have to happen. I don't think he's gone there to be a squad player. So I think over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see maybe a slight shift in shape uh, with, with Moyes getting more comfortable with the team performing so well. He might feel comfortable maybe taking out Mas- Masuaka going to a back four with Cresswell Cresswell becoming a more traditional right back, sorry, left back rather than the left center back, and Ben Rama coming in ahead of him with maybe Fornals moving to a number 10 position and Bowen playing off the right, those three behind Antonio, 
keep that double pivot in midfield. Kufal, um, Balbuena and Albana, that's not ideal, but they do still have Issa Diop that can come in, who's a better defender than uh, than either of those, especially better than Balbuena. So maybe he could come in if they went to a back two, but he may not He may not do it just yet. He may keep what's working for him. Uh, that would be completely understandable, of course. I just think as the season progresses, we will see Ben Rama want to make more of an impact. And he like he's come off the bench a couple of times and made goals for them. That's what they brought him in to do. And if he's doing it off the bench, he will argue he can do it even more from the start. The other game, of course, Leicester. It's a it's a disappointing defeat for them. Their fourth defeat in a row, their fourth defeat of the season, and you know they haven't. They were comfortably outplayed by Liverpool and never really put up much of a fight. They were poor in midweek against Braga. Were very lucky to get a draw. Poor again tonight. Uh, Last season, they were going great guns. They played Liverpool. They got hammered, and it broke them, and they fell apart. For Leicester's sake and for Brendan Rodgers' sake, I hope that's not the case again this year. I hope this is just an off night that they've had, a little bit of a fluke. They have Europa League, uh, Zoria Luhansk on Thursday. They'll need to bounce back in that one. And then it's Sheffield United next Sunday. And that's going to be a tough game because Sheffield United at this point are absolutely desperate for points. Absolutely desperate for points. For Fulham, it doesn't you know, get them out of the, the mud, but it gets them a little bit closer to Brighton. Only three points in between them now. It will give Scott Parker a little bit of breathing room, but they do have two very tough games coming up. They've got Man City away next, then Liverpool at home. Then they get Brighton, and that's going to be a very important game for them. So over the next three games, they just need to try and match Brighton's results. And then in that game against Brighton, they need to go and beat them. If they can do that, if they could pick up a point between the Liverpool and uh, Man City games, that might give them a chance to overhaul um, Brighton when they play, because Brighton have Southampton next, obviously in good form. And then they have Leicester. Again, a good team. So they'll have, they both have two tough games. They really, really do. And if they can, if they match each other's scores in, or results in the next two games, we head into that game on the 16th of December with Fulham giving themselves an opportunity to, you know, maybe overtake somebody else and create a bit more breathing room and give Scott Parker a little bit more time in the job. As I've said before, just what I've heard, no sourced information, just other people's sources, other people who have connections telling me that they're already looking for a replacement. If they can find the right person, Scott Parker's potentially out the door. I think, it, you know, it's early in the season, but this is what they did the last time as well. Remember, 12 games in and Jukanovic was out the door. So Parker's now had 10 games. He's, what, one, one or two points off the pace they were at? Um, that season, and they made that decision. So, barring a win in either of the next two games, he will end up below the points tally of Jukanovic, which, if he goes, he goes. They they can't really argue. I think there's a lot of talent in that Fulham team. Looking at that team that played tonight, uh, Ariola's a very good goalkeeper. Ola Ene is very good. Anderson, I really like. Uh, Tosin, the 
kid they got from City has settled in and really looks like a Premier League defender. All early days, of course, but he looks like a Premier League defender. Anthony Robinson, it's a big jump from where he was with, with Wigan to where he is now, but he's adapting, he's developing, he's a very highly promising young player with a lot of potential. I really like Loftus-Cheek. I like Luckman. Zambo, to me, is one of the most underrated players in the league. And then they've got options up front with Cavaliero coming in tonight, whereas Mitrovic was on the bench. I've criticised him in the past for not starting Mitrovic, but I think tonight against a back three, he got his calls right, made the right choice for the starting eleven, made the right choices off the bench, and it worked. It worked really well for Scott Parker and Fulham tonight. Um, Bobby Reid did a hell of a job. Uh, on the right-hand side tonight. Worked absolutely tirelessly up and down because Loftus-Cheek was drifting in field a lot, but Loftus-Cheek put in a good show as well. If Fulham can keep playing like that, the talent they have will overcome a number of teams in this league. I know a lot of their players are in on loan, and when you have a lot of players on loan, maybe you don't always get 100% from them. Areola's there on loan. Aina's on loan, Anderson's on loan, Loftus-Cheek is on loan, and Luckman is on loan. That's five starters, all in on loan. But they can look at someone like Harrison Reed, who was there on loan last season, and they bought him as soon as they had the opportunity. And they can understand that if they put in a good show for, for Fulham this year and help them stay up, Fulham can be a permanent home for them. Ariola has had a couple of disappointing years. He's gone from being the number one at PSG to losing his spot and being loaned out and being the backup at Real Madrid. This is an opportunity for him to rebuild his career, make his case to get back into his national team, into the squad. And it's the Premier League. And Fulham are a wealthy club, so Fulham pay pretty well. So it's a good opportunity for him. Anderson had done really well at Sampdoria and was really developing into one of the best defenders in Serie A. Goes to Leon, it doesn't work. He falls down the pecking order. At times, he wasn't even making the bench last season for them. So it's a real opportunity for him to relaunch his career as well. Aina wants to move back to England. You know, he he did well with Torino, but he wants to move back to England. This is a good opportunity. Loftus-Cheek, as a young player, he was so highly touted. I know that Liverpool were interested in him and a number of other clubs. He got this big contract from Chelsea, then tore his Achilles. He's way down the pecking order at Chelsea. We, we saw what they did in the summer. They went out and bought some top-class players. And the likes of Mason Mount have come along and sort of overtaken him as well. So for him, he's got to be looking at the next stage in his career. And maybe that next stage can be Fulham. Why not? If Fulham are a Premier League club based in London, you know, they're only just down the road from Chelsea, so it's not like it's a it's a big move away. It could be the, the ideal spot for Loftus-Cheek. He'll get plenty of attention. He'll get plenty of game time. He can get himself back in the England fix, the England squad. It, it could be a really good, really good move for him. And the same goes for Luckman. I mean, Luckman came through with Charlton. Went to Everton, never really got the opportunities he needed Everton. They got rid of him, sent him to Leipzig. Didn't get the opportunities at Leipzig, now back to Fulham. Uh, and getting opportunities and performing well. He is playing really, really good stuff for them this year. I like Luckman. I think I think Everton made a massive mistake letting him go a couple of years ago. If you consider they could have 
Decore and Alan as their midfield pairing, with James as a ten, Luckman and Richarlison wide, and Calvert Lewin up front, and then have say Nikola Vlasic and Anya Koro as squad players, and they still own Moise Keane. They could have him in the mix as well. They could have one of the better young attacks in in the Premier League. Instead, the short-term, short-sighted nature of what Everton have been doing over the last few years cost them a really good player. They don't have a buyback. They don't have sell-on protection. They screwed the, screwed themselves badly on that deal, as they did with the Vlasic deal. Vlasic has become arguably the best player in the Russian Premier Division, and Everton have no buyback. They have no sell-on, nothing. He would fit perfectly into how Everton are currently playing, even in this 4-3-3. You put him in instead of Gilfie Sigurdsson or, or, or Gomes and he just take them to another level. Add his creativity, his drive, his thrust, his ability to shoot from range. He'd be he'd be a brilliant player for Everton, but they let him go as well. I mean, the summer they signed him was bananas, where they signed Sigurdsson, Klassen, Rooney and him, all of whom played the same position at, at that point in their careers. All of them were number 10s. Uh, he's the best of them now by a considerable margin and he's the one they let go without really putting up much of a fight I know Klassen went really cheap but I mean he Klassen wasn't good enough Sigurdsson wasn't good enough for an Everton team with top four ambition Rooney they signed because he was Rooney and that was understandable but sign Rooney and Vlasic and leave the other save yourself that's 65 70 million and invest it in other places they'd have been much better off like with Luckman, they let him go too early. And Luckman is making them look foolish now. And he hopefully will continue to do that because I, I've always liked Adamola Luckman, another one of those really good players that came through at Charlton, like Joe Gomez, Ezri Konza. You know, these are quality players that have gone on to be quality Premier League players. Um, that is it. That's the two games from this evening. Uh, two pretty entertaining games, it must be said. Um, all in all, just the one stinker over the weekend, that Chelsea Spurs game, uh, it's the only one really that let us down over the weekend. There were nine other games, and all nine of them really delivered something decent. Palace Newcastle was a decent game. Liverpool Brighton was a decent game. We saw signs of a resurgence from City, life from Manchester City. That attack that's been so potent over the last three, four years was back the Everton Leeds game. I mean, it it could have ended seven three to Leeds. It could have ended four four. It, it was a manic game, and how it only ended up one one. I have no idea. Or one nil. I have no idea. West Brom Sheffield United was a decent game. Both teams created chances. West Brom had a couple of good chances. Sheffield United had a couple of great chances, and just let themselves down. We had the drama of Southampton United. Obviously, the Wolves-Arsenal game was spoiled by the the injury to Raul Jimenez, but there was some good football played. And again, tonight in both games, good football played. One thing I missed yesterday, and I I did comment on it over the weekend, uh, Papa Bouba Diop, the Senegalese midfielder who played uh, in the Premier League for Fulham, um, passed away over the weekend at the age of 42. Uh, He'd suffered from... A long, in, a long illness, um, ALS, uh, motor neurone disease. And um, unfortunately, he passed away at only 42. I mean, it's a real, real shame. 
it's another player just taken from us too early. He also played for Portsmouth, West Ham and, and Birmingham, but it was with Fulham that he spent the longest time in English football, and it, it's just such a shame. So my thoughts are with his family. Uh, one of the, the great nicknames in the history of the Premier League, the wardrobe, uh, just a, an absolute unit of a midfielder, a good all-round player, just bullied people. He, this man went into midfield and just didn't care who he was up against. Put Patrick Vieira on his backside a couple of times. Put Gerrard on his backside a couple of times. Didn't really care. Didn't have any any tolerance for reputation or anything like that. A, a very good player who did great things with the Senegalese national team. Scored that goal against France in the 2002 World Cup. A legend that and would go on to represent Senegal. 63 times overall one of their greatest ever players and you know like I say he'll be he'll be sadly missed by by those that saw him play and those that remember him and of course those that were close to him um so tonight Monday night last night as you listen to this the Anton Ferdinand documentary uh, aired on the BBC now I haven't seen it yet uh but I've seen some people uh comment on it um so the documentary is called uh, Anton Ferdinand, Football, Racism and Me. And it basically, I think, centers around the racism case he was involved in with John Terry and how he was basically silenced and how he was treated and how, despite being the victim in that case, um, he was kind of blackballed as the, you know, the troublemaker, uh, which is, you know, look. I mean, there's there's ample evidence that John Terry should not be held up in the light that he's currently held up in as some sort of leader and legend when we know what he did with his teammate's wife and he racially abused uh, at least one footballer in his career. And, you know, and it's not like a thing where there's a gray area in what he said. He said what he said. He was given preferential treatment and and somehow it was all forgotten about and um, he's just been allowed to carry on whereas for Anton Ferdinand it had a massive negative effect on his career and his life so uh, I would advise everybody I'm going to go watch it I would advise everybody else if you can get to see it try and see it because uh, I think it's important that we we do you know we do look at these things and, and take them on board and all of us should try and learn and develop as human beings um we'll finish up with some with some gossip with some news uh sammy kadira says a premier league move could be an option when his juventus contract runs out next summer and says he is keeping in contact with carlo ancelotti and jose Mourinho, uh, both of whom who he's played with played for before um kadira i think will be 34 by next summer has looked poor for at least the last two and a half years. For about 12 months now, has not really been able to run all that much. And I would suggest if you were coming to England, it would purely be for a big bag of money. I would suggest any and all Premier League clubs would do very well to steer clear of a player at 34 who can't run much anymore and is a box-to-box midfielder. Um... He was a great player in his pomp. He's not a great player anymore. Leave him be, Carlo. Leave him be, Jose. You have more than enough midfielders 
at Spurs and Carlo, you can do better. Um, AC Milan goalkeeper Gianluigi Donnarumma's contract with the Serie A side expires next summer. But the 21-year-old says his agent will speak to the club and he wants to stay with them for a long time. That is a change in message from Donnarumma. However, he has always said he would love to stay at Milan if they were being successful, but he did not feel they could be successful. And that was why he was considering other options. They're top of the league now. They're top of the Europa League group. They look really good. They've recruited really well in the last couple of years. And uh, it looks like that part of the reward for that will be that they get to keep their generationally talented goalkeeper who at 21 already has, what, four years as the starter there. He's a, he's a remarkable young keeper um, and is finally starting to develop after a couple of years of stagnation. Liverpool have been linked with Ajax defender Per Schurz, but the Reds have made no bid for the Dutchman. So I was talking to somebody else about this today. I do like Per Schurz, but the more I think about it and the more I look into him and watch him play, the less I like this move right now. I don't think he's experienced enough. I don't think he's physical enough. He's quite slow on the turn, and I think he would struggle in Liverpool's high line. Liverpool did look at him about three years ago quite quite strongly, but at that point, they they didn't play the way they do now. They didn't defend with such a high line. They didn't have Virgil van Dijk. So I, I just don't think he fits in right now. I'm not against the move, but I think Liverpool can do better, especially the type of money you're going to be talking. You're going to be talking somewhere between 25 to 35 million. And I think you can do better for that money. So I, I would take a pass on that one. Um, West Ham and Chelsea are monitoring the progress of England youth left back Matthew Bonswell, who is on loan at FC Dordrecht from RB Leipzig. He's meant to be very talented. Um, another one of those that Leipzig snapped up at a young age. West Ham need a long-term solution at left-back. I would avoid Chelsea if I was him purely on the basis that they just signed um, Ben Chilwell, who is going to be their left-back for the better part of a decade. So unless you are world-class, you're not going to be better than Chilwell, so you're not going to take his spot. Even if you're as good as him, he's more senior to you, he's there first. In all likelihood, you're not taking his spot. But West Ham, there's a real clear pathway there for a young left-back. Uh, Newcastle's match against Aston Villa on Friday could be in doubt after a coronavirus outbreak forced four players and one member of staff to isolate. I think if there's any risk, any doubt at all, I do think they should cancel that game. I also think it's a bit mad that Villa would play Monday night and again on Friday night, but then when you look at the Champions League teams and the turnaround they're having, it is understandable, but I, I, I don't think we'll... Friday night football has not really been a thing in the Premier League before. So, um, you know, it's all new ground. But, yeah, I think if there's any doubt, any risk, it's best not to uh, not to go ahead with that game. Maybe move it to the Monday and, you know, at least it gives a couple of extra days to, you know, to figure things out for Newcastle. Former boss Gus Poyet is in line for a dramatic return to Sunderland following the sacking of Phil Parkinson on Sunday. Poyet's a good manager, and he's done well at a number of clubs, but he is allegedly quite difficult to deal with behind the scenes and uh, does not really like to be questioned by ownership or the board or anything like that. Tends to 
kind of want free reign. Um, so whether Sunderland, whether that's what Sunderland need, I really don't know. You know, he did he did pretty well at Bordeaux. That came to a weird end. He did well at Brighton. He did really well at Brighton, and I, I did feel bad for him when he got let go. He didn't do well at Sunderland the first time around. 30% win ratio, it was it was fairly catastrophic. He did well at AAK Athens, but not good at, at Betis, not good with Shanghai. Like I say, good at Bordeaux, but again, it was 21 games. He's been out of the game two years. I. It seems to me like that's that's a cheap move because he's not at a club right now and they don't want to spend any money. But like I say, I mean, he was fired from his last job because he criticized the sale of a player. Uh, you know, he was fired from the Brighton job. and There was loads of rumors about, you know, what took place and what he may or may not have done in the boardroom, having found out he'd been sacked. Um, he did well at AA Catons and they still threw him out the door. So I don't know. He's a good manager, but I just don't think you want to bring his personality into your club. Um, Arsenal have revived their interest in RB Leipzig defender Ibrahima Kanate and hope to complete a deal for the 21-year-old French centre-back in January. Keep your dirty hands off him. He's the one I want at Liverpool. Uh, he is a tremendous young defender. I think the idea of him and Gabriel together would be very, very good. I saw Leicester linked with him recently as well. Um, and the idea of him and Fafana together should terrify everybody because they will develop into two monsters next to each other. He'd be a great signing for Arsenal. There are some question marks over his long-term fitness and his long-term health after a hip injury, but he's he's, a, he's an incredibly talented defender. I think he is the most talented of all the French defenders, including Upamecano. I, I think Canati is the one, but like I say, there just are those injury concerns. Uh, Newcastle are considering a deal to re-sign Eintracht Frankfurt defender, defender Jetro Williams. 26-year-old made 20 appearances on loan last season before suffering a season-ending knee injury. He's a good defender. He's not a good defender. He's a good left-back. He's good going forward. He is pretty poor defensively, but he did really well um, at Newcastle. I know they brought in Jamal Lewis, and I do really like Jamal Lewis, but it would be good for him to have competition. It would be good for Newcastle to have a little bit of depth. And if they can get him for free or on a loan or on the cheap, absolutely it's the type of deal you should do. Uh, Celtic are interested in signing Crystal Palace and Republic of Ireland midfielder James McCarthy, but Aston Villa and Burnley are also interested. It would make sense for Celtic. Um, he's obviously played in Scotland before he came through it. Hamilton academical. And I think at the point of his career that he's at, he does struggle in the Premier League. Uh, I'd be surprised if Villa have real interest in him. Uh, Burnley would be interested because he'd be cheap or free because that's, that's all Mike Garlick is willing to do is, is you know, whoever costs 40p in a packet of crisps. Um, but for Celtic, I, mean, I think he'd be fine and he'd definitely be fine in the in the SPL. When you consider the majority of SPL teams, with the greatest respect, are League One caliber at best. Some of them are League Two caliber. Um, so he'd absolutely be fine up there. Uh, Manchester United manager Oli Gunnar Solskjaer says he does not predict a lot of ins and outs during the January transfer window. 
That's because they have no money left uh, because the Glazers have stolen it all. Um, Spanish midfielders Ricky Puig and Carlos Elena are fighting for their Barcelona futures, along with Denmark striker Martin Braithwaite and Spanish left-back Junior Firpo. If there's any club out there looking for a good attacking left-back, Junior Firpo is a really good one. Um, when he was at Betis, he, he looked like he was going to be a tremendous player. He's gone to Barca, never really gotten the opportunities he, he needed at the time or since um, because Jordi Alba is there, obviously, and Jordi Alba is one of the the senior players at, at, at Barca who's untouchable, one of one of Messi's men. Um, so just you know, regardless of how badly he's played for two years now, um, he still gets in the team. Um, Ricky Puig, I mean, him and Elena, when they first came through, when they were like 16, 17, 18, people were saying these two were going to be the next Xavi and Iniesta. It hasn't worked, but they are very, very good players. If they leave Barca, somebody's getting a bargain or two people are getting, two clubs are getting bargains if they get those players. They are going to be very, very good players. I don't think they'll ever be great, but they will be very, very good. Uh, French winger Florian Tauvon says he was moved by AC Milan technical director Paolo Maldini, admitting the French, uh, sorry, the Serie A side were interested in signing him. The 27-year-old's contract at Marseille runs out next summer. I would imagine he will have a lot of clubs interested in him. Obviously, he was at Newcastle. It didn't go very well, but he has been really, really good since going back to Marseille. Uh, 41 league goals in his last 76 games is impressive. Um, just the Newcastle deal came at the at the wrong time for him. He was he was too lightweight. He was maybe a little bit too young as well. I think he was neither 21, 22 when he made the move to Newcastle. So he's developed into a fine player. Um, and someone someone will get a really good player with him on on a free. There'll be a lot of clubs interested. And he'll make someone better. There will be Premier League clubs interested as well, I'm sure. Uh, Juventus may target Atletico Madrid and Montenegro centre-back Stefan Savage to strengthen their defence. Right. While Stefan Savage has developed into a much better defender than uh, Premier League fans may remember from his disastrous time at Manchester City, he would not strengthen the Juventus defence. He would not strengthen it at all. Uh, Delict is vastly superior. Demorel is better. Benucci is still better. Uh, they let Romero go on on a loan, two year loan with an option to buy either summer to Atalanta. He is better. Um, he may be better than Chiellini at this point in Chiellini's career. Well, Chiellini is about sixty, so you know you'd want to be better. Savage is okay. He's okay. He's not great. He doesn't make the mistakes he used to make, but he doesn't raise the game of the defenders around him. It's been notable that, you know, from when he joined Atletico, they started to be a little less defensively dominant than they had been. Now, this season, they've been great defensively. Um, This season, they're the best defensive team in Europe by, I think, a, a pretty decent margin. I think Sociedad might be second. But um, yeah, they've conceded two goals. Sociedad have conceded five. But two goals from nine games. Um, Atletico have been brilliant this year. But um, 
I just I think they're better defensively when Savage is not on the team. I really do. I think Jimenez is better than him. Um, I think Hermoso is better than him. He just he wouldn't be for me. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go for him. He, they'll want big money from him as well. Former Brazil left back Roberto Carlos said a move for him to go to Chelsea was agreed in 2007, uh, only for it to fall through at the final moments. It would have been great to see him in the Premier League, um, but he was 34 at that point, and he was playing fairly poorly for Real at the end. He went to Fenerbahce instead. I assume that was it was when he was leaving Real. Uh, he wasn't great for Fenerbahce, and then sort of just bounced around a little bit. Corinthians, Anzi ended up in Delhi for a couple of games a few years later, but. No, at 34, you didn't really want Roberto Carlos, and you can imagine he was asking for massive money. Um, Barnsley are keen to extend the loan of Leicester City midfielder Matty James. His current loan is due to end in January. It's a great move for everybody. He's playing first-team football, uh, which is what he needs at this point. Leicester have no intention of playing him. He's way down the pecking order. So uh, it's just a good move for everybody. I mean... I know he's very loyal to Leicester and I know he's been there a long, long time um, since 2012 after he was released by United. But I mean, he's not going to play there again. He played once last season. Once the year before. He's had one... in, In the last five years, he's had one season with Leicester where he's played more than one game. He did obviously have a loan spell with, with Barnsley previously in 16-17, but like didn't play at all 15-16. One game for, for Leicester the next year before the loan. 14 the next year. Then none. I say then, then one and then one again. Injuries and different things. And, and just Leicester's level going up and up. I mean, when he signed for Leicester, they weren't the club they are now. They weren't, you know, they didn't have the expectations that they had now. Um, so for me, you know, you see a player like him who just needs to move on and, and get to play and you just wish the club would just cancel his contract and let him go, let him go on a free to Barnsley. I mean, what's he really worth? His contract can't be up. His contract is, he still has two years. So like, what are you going to do? Loan him out again next season? Just let the guy go. You've got no future for him at your club. You've no plans for him. Let him go. Let him go play somewhere else. It really bothers me when you see guys that have just lost vast chunks of their their career. I know he's had the injuries, but still, I mean, you know, he he should have been playing a lot more than he has. Uh, and that's it. That is our show for today. It's a little bit of a short one, I think, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but it is quite late on monday night so don't want to keep guy too long um thank you as always to mr guy drinkle for his work on this podcast thank you to you for listening and thank you to fox haunt for our title music i will see you on wednesday where we'll be compiling another list of the worst of something or the best of something i haven't quite decided yet but enjoy the rest of your tuesday uh take care stay safe enjoy the champions league tonight and i will speak to you tomorrow bye bye
Sports Social Podcast Network.